0: You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Amen, and good morning, 10 o'clock. We begin a brand new series today called Unsaved Christians. It's a strange title, I know, purposefully intriguing, a title that kind of makes you maybe raise one eyebrow. What is an unsaved Christian? It's probably the biggest mission field in Waco. It's probably the biggest mission field in this room this morning. One quick disclaimer. I am not the judge of who a Christian is and who a Christian is not, nor do I want to be that judge. But the Bible does give a clear, a crystal clear picture of what a Christian is and what a Christian is not. Let me also make another quick disclaimer. These next three weeks could be the most important three weeks of your life because eternity rides on things like this that we are talking about today. Are you an unsaved Christian or a certain Christian? I know I need to quickly define what an unsaved Christian is because I've already gotten a lot of social media pushback this week when I just posted that we're going to begin a series called Unsaved Christians. I think a lot of people think that I'm an unsaved Christian now for even posting that. So let me say what this is. An unsaved Christian is one who is Christian in name and in culture but is not a new person in Christ. This person is a self-titled Christian but not a new creation in Christ. They call themselves Christian. They love the culture of Christianity. They love being around Christian people, godly people. They love the church. They love to serve. They they know the lingo. They give. They may pray. They may read their Bible. They're moral. But they're not saved. They know about Jesus, but Jesus does not know them. They're not truly saved. So therefore we need to unpack that word, saved, because it's not just some old-fashioned church word. I know we hear the word saved, and we think of an Oklahoma revival preacher in the 1950s who's yelling and spitting and hollering in his white patent leather shoes that you must be saved. But saved actually is a biblical word. It's a Jesus word. Because all throughout Scripture, we are told that we need to be saved from the penalty of our sins. Being saved is a critical component of Scripture. It's it's a critical component of your life and of eternity. So with your copy of God's Word, let's go to perhaps one of the easiest books to find in all the Bible, the first book of the New Testament, the book of Matthew. Let's go to Matthew chapter 7 together. As you get there, if you have a red-letter Bible, you may notice there's a lot of red letters around this part. This is Jesus preaching, really his first big message it's called the Sermon on the Mount. It goes from Matthew 5 to Matthew 6 to Matthew 7. And Jesus covers a range of topics. But here in chapter 7, in the verse we're about to look at, the verses we're about to look at, he goes deep. He, he gets intense. Have you noticed that Jesus has a way of speaking about beautiful things, peaceful things, lovely things, then all of a sudden he gets really intense. We're going to jump right to the intense part this morning. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it by it are are many. Operative word there, are many. Those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it, operative word, are few. There's really three people here. this story uh, in these passages those who reject the grace of Christ and they walk on a very wide road it's an easy road but it's a road that leads to destruction to death to hell then there are those in these two verses who have received the grace of Christ and they're walking a very narrow road it's a a difficult road few find this road but that road is leading to life it's leading to the kingdom It's, it's leading specifically to heaven But there really is a third person found in those two verses, and we're going to see this by context in just a second, those who think they're on a narrow road that are actually on a wide road. I'm going to call these people unsaved Christians. They, They look like Christians. They look on the outside like Christians. In their mind, they might even think they are Christians, but in God's mind, they are unsaved. So which of these three categories do you think Jesus is going to talk about the most? Those who've rejected his grace, those who have received his grace, or those who think that they are believers, they even look like they're believers on the outside, but aren't truly changed. He's going to talk about those who say they're Christians, or hope they're Christians, but aren't. You can tell this by context. We're not going to read it, but verse 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 that follows this, Jesus talks about wolves that look like sheep on the outside, but on the inside, they're still Wolves. That they may wear the, the, the covering of, of being a sheep, but they're not changed on the inside. Then he talks about trees that look like good trees, and to begin to see the fruit of their lives, until you begin to inspect their lives and see that those lives aren't those, those trees aren't truly good because they're bearing bad fruits. And then some of the harshest, most difficult words of Jesus in all the Bible: Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many, the exact same word that's used back in verse 13. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never Knew you depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. If I were to ask you if you're a Christian, or ask people in Waco if they're a Christian, and they said yes, you said yes, and then I followed up with with this question: What is it that makes you a Christian? I think the answers would be really interesting. What is it that makes you a Christian? Because I think a lot of people might say, "Well, I'm not atheist." Uh, of course I'm a Christian I'm not agnostic I'm a Christian I'm not Jewish I'm not Muslim I'm not Hindu I'm not Buddhist yeah I'm a Christian I'm, I'm a pretty really honestly I'm a pretty good person especially compared to the person sitting next to me in church this morning I'm a pretty good person I'm American of course I'm a Christian I'm from America America I believe in God. I mean, I'm unbelievably sincere. I I believe in God. I'm a Republican. I care for the pre-born. I care for family values. Of course I'm a Christian. I'm a Democrat. I care for immigrants and care for the poor. I eat at Chick-fil-A. Of course I'm a Christian. (laughs) I'm moral. I pray. I show up to church. I even give. What's the problem with all those answers? Nowhere is Jesus mentioned. The name of Jesus has to be central to the life of one who is truly saved. The life of Jesus that he came to seek and save people just like you and I the death of Christ, that all of our sins were piled upon him and he bore our sin and the penalty of our sin and the resurrection of Christ, that he conquered his death and our death also and that he is the Lord. You see, because today in America, you can be a Christian, in quotes, without actually needing the work of Christ on the cross. Can there be a saving faith apart from Jesus? No, There is no saving apart from believing in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Christ. So what do we learn from these heavy words? hope you did not close your Bible. Here in Matthew chapter 7, what do we learn from these heavy words from Jesus? Let me give you five things this morning that are eternity-altering for us. Number one, we see it in verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, Jesus begins by saying, you want to do that, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are are many. Here's the first thing for me to pass along to you today. Majority, lockstep and ease are warning signs on a wide road. In other words, if your beliefs match the majority of people around you, if your beliefs always, you're trying to line it up to the poles of the majority in our country, if your lifestyle matches the lifestyles of most others, if you enjoy being in the majority, red flag if you long for comfort and live for comfort and conformity and cheer red flag if you act like and live like and have the passions just like the rest of the world and there's no repentance there's no constant turning back to Christ then you are on a wide road headed to death with many others did you see that in verse 13 many find that road because that road is easy but it leads to death. Secondly, minority living and difficulty are comforting signs on a narrow road. Look at this verse verse 14. For the narrow, for the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it such a key word here are few. If you are in Christ, you are the minority in the population. Verse 14: few are on that road. And life in Christ was never designed to be easy. Why? Because we follow a Savior who did not live an easy life. The biblical stances upon which Christ followers stand is not popular in our culture and is getting less popular every year. So if fitting into society and being well-liked and always being in the majority are passions for you, you may not want to follow Jesus. We see it right here. This road, this narrow road is difficult, but it leads to life. Let's read verse 21 again in your Bible. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. This is heavy, so just gear up for this. Not everyone who believes in God goes to heaven. And this is a sobering thought as we gather here in the south in the Bible Belt this morning. Where 77% of Texans claim to be Christians, according to Pew Research. That can't be true because we wouldn't recognize this state if it was. But to truly believe in God means that you're truly receiving his son. You see, most people believe that God is a force, some distant deity, an idea, my least favorite phrase of all time the big man upstairs. But to truly believe in God means you truly believe that his son, Christ, came for you. Died for you. Rose for you. James, as he's writing, and I love his sarcasm here, I love the sarcastic nature of James here. James chapter 2, verse 19, you see on the screen behind me, James writes, you believe that there is one God? Good! Even the demons believe that. And they shake. So simply believing in God does not even separate you from the demons. The demons in hell believe there's one God. They believe there is a God. Believing that there is a God is not a saving faith. Believing that that God sent his only son, Jesus, that's where the saving faith comes from. Verse 22 On that day, that word again, we see it one more time. We saw it back in verse 13. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? That's quite a list there in verse 22. I prophesied. I preached. I engaged in spiritual warfare. I cast out demons. I did mighty things. I did great things. Incredible deeds. We could add to that. I fed the hungry. I was patriotic. I served on staff at a church. I was a deacon. I was an elder. I was a lead pastor. I taught. I voted. I served in church. Good moral things can actually keep us from heaven. Doing good moral things can actually keep you from heaven. I mean, prophesying, preaching, is there anything more good, (laughs) that's a horrible phrase, more good And casting out demons, doing mighty things—so important that you hear this. Don't let the good things you do block you from seeing your need of a savior. That is why morality should terrify us as the church. Doing good moral things, changing our behavior, thinking that somehow if we do good things that we will no longer need Jesus. But don't let these good moral things block you from seeing that you have a great need for his grace and for his forgiveness. Here's the problem with morality. We feel good about ourselves when we're moral. You know what's rough about the cross? We realize we're not good enough. And here in the West, that pains our soul to say, "I, I can't I can't forgive myself, I can't even live this life without the presence of Christ in me. The other problem with morality is that we tend to compare ourselves to others when it comes to morality. When we compare ourselves to others, we always try to find someone who's a, doing a little worse job in life than we are. And say, so well, at least I'm more moral than that person. I'm better than, than that person. You're hoping the person sitting next to you this morning is just a little bit worse than you are, Hopefully. But we don't compare ourselves to others. We compare ourselves to the perfection of Christ. Then we realize that our morality and our good behavior, it can't match up to the perfection of Christ. We need a Savior. Fifthly, let's find this in verse 23. And then I, this is Christ speaking, I will declare to them, I never Knew you. See, it's not about religion. It's not about morality. It's not about doing good things. It's about relationship. Having a relationship with God through Christ Jesus. So Jesus says to them, the unsaved, quote, Christian, unquote, I never knew you, so depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Here's the fifth thing. It's heavy. Law keepers, apart from Jesus, are really law breakers. You see people relying on their own behavior, their own morality, their own good works those who think they're keeping the law are actually breaking the law, not realizing that one sin carries the spiritual penalty of committing all the sins. James has something to say about this as well. You see on the screen behind me, James chapter 2, verse 10, he writes, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking it all. You can live a life that you think is perfect, so moral, but you lie one time? Lust one time? Worry one time? Get angry one time? You're guilty of breaking all of it. You see, many do not rely on Christ's sufficient sacrifice because they believe that their own obedience is sufficient sacrifice. Don't be deceived in this. Look at those five things on the screen behind me. (laughs) Jesus isn't messing around with these. And there is something in cultural Christianity today. And there is something in Christian nationalism today that says it's good to believe in God, but you don't actually desperately need him. Friends, hear me on this. We desperately need Jesus. We are nothing without him. We are lost without him. So what do we do with this? This is some heavy, heavy words from Jesus. How do we apply this? Like, what do we do now? Glad you asked. Number one, gospel clarity is essential. In our world today... Things are so cloudy when it comes to spirituality. In our nation today, in our culture today, where everybody wants to have all these different beliefs but land in the same place, gospel clarity is essential. It's essential from this pulpit. It's essential in your small groups. It's essential in your home. It's essential in your heart. The gospel is not just what you believed to be saved is something that you have to return to every day. Preach it to your heart every day. Convey it to your soul every day. To be a Christian means that you had to take the righteousness from someone else because you did not have it on your own. And that only comes from Jesus. Catch this again. All of our sin placed upon Christ. All of the righteousness of Christ placed upon us. Martin Luther called it the great exchange all of my junk, all of my stuff, all of my rebellion, all of my lust, all of my worry, all of my gossip, all of my arrogance, all of my pride, all of my self-centeredness placed on Christ. And all of Jesus' righteousness, his right standing with his Father, all of his perfection placed upon me. We'll never get over this. Gospel clarity is so essential when we read through these passages. Here's the second thing. Refuse to be in denial about our nation. We we can't be in denial about the spiritual condition of our nation. (laughs) I'm going to get some emails on this. Father them away. John-Durham at hbcwaycode.org. Just send them to me this afternoon. Because I'm concerned... the battle I see on social media of whether or not America is a Christian nation. In fact, it seems like more people are passionate about that than actually sharing the gospel with Americans. It it is impossible for a nation to be a Christian. (laughs) Have you ever heard of Australia walking the aisle and getting baptized? Their countries cannot be Christian. People can follow Christ. Your neighbors, your friends, your family, that's who can believe upon Christ Jesus. So let's don't be in denial about our nation. We live in a lost nation that does wicked things in the darkness and now wicked things in the light. Let's refuse to be in denial about our nation, but also refuse to be in denial about friends and family. Don't let morality or religiosity lull you into spiritual apathy about your family, about your friends. Well, she's a good girl. She was was baptized when she was five. He's a good guy. He he went to church up until fifth grade. He he prayed a prayer when he was in third grade. I mean, He's a good person. She's a good person. They, They love their church. You know, baptism and church membership are not... Spiritual rites of passage. One of the most deeply held false beliefs in our nation today is that all good people go to heaven. So make sure your sons and your daughters, your siblings, your spouse, your parents know that being good and doing good does not open up the door to the kingdom of God. There's a reason a good pastor will always put himself last at the funeral. Because at a funeral, I mean, the deceased sounds like a Nobel Prize-winning person every time. Like, why do you know this person at all? I, you made him sound like he was the greatest one ever, like who's ever walked the face of the earth. And so a good preacher always puts himself at the very end because you hear all these incredible things. Like Uncle Johnny, he was awesome. He loved his family. Uncle Frank, he's probably playing golf in the big sky right now. You hear all these great things, and then all of a sudden you have to come at the very end and go, all of those things are true. But none of those things get you to heaven. Christ alone, faith alone, grace alone, believing on the life, the death, and the resurrection of Christ. Here's the fourth thing and probably the most important thing you'll hear from me all morning long. Refuse to be in denial about your own life. I mean, which one are you? On the narrow road, living a difficult life with the minority? Because our beliefs as as a Christian are counterculture. The scriptures upon which we stand are counterculture. And Jesus himself said, few find that road. It's not a road of ease at all. It's a difficult road. Are you pretty certain you're on the wide road? Like, I long for ease. I love to be with the majority. That road is leading straight. To death, straight to destruction. Probably a lot of place people in this in this room and maybe watching online probably find yourself in this place. I'm pretty sure I'm a Christian. I'd like to be a Christian. I like to be around Christian things and Christian people, and I like to see Christian things happen. I like to see Christian and Christianity and and, and policy and politics and and, and other people. But I may not truly be a new creation in Christ. This is who I'd like to talk to today because eternity is in the balance on that answer. Let's do this. Quietly as you can. Would you mind just standing with me? All of you just Standing, let's stand together. You know, if you're you're uncertain about your salvation, you'll live life uncertainly. If you're uncertain about your salvation, you'll pray uncertainly. You'll walk with God uncertainly. You will share the gospel with others, but uncertainly. So I'm calling you today Come and live in the certainty of salvation. I'm calling you today to come and live in the certainty of a relationship with God through Christ Jesus. Here's what I'm doing. I'm pleading with every elementary age child in this room today to give your life to Christ, to receive His gift of grace and forgiveness. I am pleading with every middle school student that's here today in this room, high school student in this room. I am pleading with you today, come and find life in Jesus. Oh, before you do though, just to understand, it's a narrow road. Few of your friends will find it. It's a difficult road because we're following a Savior who did not gravitate toward ease. I'm calling every college student here today who is uncertain about your salvation, to be certain today that today may be the day of your salvation, of your rescue, that you would place all of your sin, all of your stuff, all of your biography onto Christ and let him place onto you all of his righteousness, all of his right standing with the Father. I am pleading with every college student to do that today. If you're uncertain about your salvation, oh, be certain today. Find it in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And I am pleading with every adult, every single adult, every dad, every mom, every grandparent here today, do not live a life of uncertainty. But today, put your trust, your life, your all into Christ and enter onto this narrow road that few find, but that road leads to life. we're going to sing a song that's about 190 years old, literally. It's a song that was probably sung on the day that many of our great, great grandparents came to believe in Jesus. I've asked some couples in our church to come and stand here at the front, so if I've asked you if you don't mind coming and standing here at this time, because I'm going to call you today to come to life not to me, not to church, not come to baptism, not come to be a Baptist. Would you come to Jesus today? If you're an unsaved Christian, today is the day you can be a saved Christian. Not just in name, not just in culture, but a brand new creation in Christ. And if you know you're in Christ, sing this next song and pray for people around you. Let's sing. And if you're uncertain about your salvation today, come and talk to these who are standing here at the front. Let's sing. You, please come.